0: Hello, I'm Ann Mossop, Sydney Writers Festival artistic director. We hope you enjoy this episode from our podcast program.
1: Dulol, I would like to excuse my presence on the sovereign lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects, my faka upper upper, to the traditional custodians of these unceded lands on which this festival is held. I would also like to pay my faka upper upper to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Dulo. Malo lele. My name is Winnie Dunn, and I am a Tongan Australian writer from Mount Druitt. And it has been a long-standing dream of mine to host this groundbreaking event—a conversation about literature by Pacifica writers for Pacifica writers. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <Woo>. <laughs> Growing up, the only representations of Pacifica people I saw were our, bi- were our built, brown, beautiful men on the rugby field, which still stands as one of the only accessible avenues of our people out of physical and financial poverty. And the only other representation I saw was Chris Lily. A white man who donned brown face paint an afro-style wig and enacted hypersexual, violent, homophobic, ableist and misogynistic caricatures of young Pacifica children. Shame. Because of Australia's lack of representation and at a time and at times blatant misrepresentation, I could only ever conceive of being Pacifica in two ways footballers, or the butt of racist jokes. In Tongan, we have a phrase, fia balangi, which means wanting to be white. Fia balangi was my nickname growing up, because if you can't see yourself in the current mainstream images afforded to you, you lean upon the default and dominant representation, which has always been whiteness. And yes, unfortunately, before anybody asks, I was a big fan of Delta Goodrum in 2006. (laughs) My name was Fia Balangi for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, throughout my childhood and even into my early adulthood, never could I have imagined the panel that stands before you all today at the biggest literary festival in the country, Straight Up Islander. Straight Up Islander was actually first envisioned as an online collection of short personal essays published in partnership with SBS Voices. Shout out to the SBS team. I commissioned and edited 10 writers, co- commonly known by their racial marker, Pacific Islander, which was first used in 1785 in a colonial context to refer to those who belong to the hundreds of islands and ocean ways that make up the South Pacific Straight Up Islander as an online collection, and now as a panel, reflects the ancestral and colonial history, nuances, intersections, and shortcomings of the term Pacific Islander, recognising our personal, political, and geographical relationships to so-called Australia. It acts as a reclamation, an extension, and a celebration of who we are, where we came from, and how we want to be. And here's who I'm celebrating with today. Georgie Ravulo is the Professor and Chair of Social Work and Policy Studies in the Sydney School of Education and Social Work at the University of Sydney. His research and areas of interest include mental health and wellbeing, alcohol and other drugs, youth development, marginality and decoloniality decoloniality, nuanced with a genuine commitment to the dynamic inclusion of cultural diversity and its differences, Georgie is keen to create collaborative spaces for students, community groups, and industry partners. (laughs) (laughs) Anne-Marie Tefu is a poet, editor, weaver, festival director, and cultural producer. She co edited Solid Air, Australia and New Zealand's Spoken Word, as well as editing Tony Birch's poetry collection, Whisper Songs. Between 2015 and 2017, she was co director of the Queensland Poetry Festival. Her poems and essays have appeared in multiple journals and platforms across Australia and Aotearoa. She is a 2022 Wheeler Centre Next Chapter recipient. She currently works at Red Room Poetry as a senior producer. Kaya Abo Ab- Oh, sorry. Next to An- Annie is Christine. <laughs> Christine Afour is a Samoan Australian writer born and raised in the Bankstown area. She is undertaking a creative writing degree at the University of Technology, Sydney. Christine has performed poetry for so Far, Lounge, so Far Sounds Lounge and Bankstown Poetry Slam, and her short stories have been published in SBS Voices, several UTS anthologies, and Sweatshop Women. Christine is a member of Sweatshop Literacy Movement. Yes. And finally, Kaya Abouaji is Arab islander of Zena- Zanandath Kez, colonially known as Torres Strait Islands, ni Vanuatu, Kuka Yulangi heritage and Akan descent from Ghana, Kaya writes about the intersectional experiences of Black, Indigenous, and Oceanic people. She lectures Indigenous social science at University of Western Sydney and is a PhD candidate in the School of Sociology and Social Policy at the University of Sydney. Kaya's PhD explores Indigenous cosmologies, knowledge systems, and Black relations between First Nations and African diasporic peoples in Africa and the Black Pacific. Can we... Such a powerhouse team I have with me of my favourite uh, people, thank you, thank you so much for joining me. The most obvious yet complicated place I think I want to start is with the terms Pacific Islander, Islander and Pacifica, and what, the, what they are and what they mean to you personally. Is it a positive or negative term? Are there alternative terms? And so Professor Georgie, uh, I would like to ask you to begin.
2: Great.
3: Nissan Bulavanaka and G'day everyone, great to be able to hold and share space with you all this morning and uh, round of applause for Winnie Dunn, who's facilitating us and brought us together for this collection for SBS Voices. Yeah, the terminology, Pacific Islander, Pacifica um, or Islander. It is sometimes both a term of endearment, but also a term that is used or is weaponised as a means to label. And I think one of the challenges that we have is about how do we, even as Pacific people, which Pacific area is a term that we may use in a lot of our Pacific Indigenous languages, to actually represent Pacific Indigenous people, so Pacifica, even that terminology in and of itself is, is helpful for Pacific Indigenous people to, ha- to have that sense of connection and that sense of community. But then when you hear people call people islanders, especially in a, in a negative context, especially with the overrepresentation of our young people in lots of different areas, including the, the youth justice space, which I've explored previously... Um, it then becomes, yeah, heavy and something that continues to, if anything, motivate me to represent and to to have these critical conversations around what it is as Pacific people, as Pacifica people, uh, to be Pacifica based on our perspectives.
0: And Annie, what about you? uh, um, Yeah, I just want to echo what you've just said about... um, thanking Winnie. I Yeah, there's no way in the world I'd even be sitting here without um, the incredible Winnie Dunn. Um, Winnie's the only Tongan Australian editor in Australia, the only brown editor in Australia, and someone whose words I feel safe with, um, straight up safe with, so um, really want to echo thanks to Winnie. Um, And also want to um, acknowledge that I'm also on um, Gadigal lands, really, really um, grateful um, to Elders, past and present, and acknowledge all First Nations people in the audience, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and any other First Nations people. Um, Yeah, the Pacifica with a K at the end, the Pacifica with, you know, whether or not we go Pacifica, Pacific you know, all of those different um, iterations of this word can be exactly as you said, the key word is weaponised. And it's whether or not we are saying it and we is, we're all so diverse within our own, you know, if we were to serve up our own kai, our own food, it would just be, there'd be nothing, I don't know, maybe the kumara would be the similar, you know, like even with our own um, identities, there's just such a tapestry of, texture. And, um, I also think it's generational, um, in, in terms of that identity. I grew up with PI being, you know, it was a racial slur for sure. The Islanders, you know, I, I grew up seeing, as Winnie said, Islanders on the football field or collecting our rubbish bins like that, or my brothers. So it, it, yeah. Um, I think it's a really great question and something that is going... It's in progress. I feel like it's work in progress, but I certainly hope that the way that we identify ourselves comes from us, not from the outside, that it comes from an internal conversation and um, in the same way that maybe um, Aboriginal Australian people are able to empower themselves with being black, B-L-A-K, capital B that there's that same use of empowerment with being pacific islander that's what yes. <laughs> no is <laughs> that exactly manner no, going on
1: christine what about you um, in a western sydney context yeah. pacific islander pacifico yeah. what does it mean to you growing up it was
4: a like a badge of honour. If you were a Pacific Islander, you were stronger, you were in in all sports, you were musically talented somehow, magically. And I was none of that. I was never selected. I was kicked out of the choir. But I still (laughs) felt that pride. And I still carry that today. But I don't use those terms as much, especially being from Western Sydney. It's a part of my identity, a very strong one. But I'm also someone from the Bankstown area I'm also a a woman of colour as well and I carry those with me too Um, I do know there's like a brilliant piece by um, Albert Wendt and also added on by Ibeli Haofa and the term that they bring up is Oceania Yeah, and I feel that that is very powerful because what connects all of us is the ocean and I think that that is like, very, like, a brilliant way to see our identities, yeah. Mm.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, the Moana and not the Disney one. And not the Disney Kaya, <laughs> 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 yeah. uh-huh. what about you?
5: Um, thanks, Winnie. I also just want to um, acknowledge your presence and thank you for bringing us together in this space. I also acknowledge... Um, the Gadigal people of this land that allow us all to be in this room um, and in this space and acknowledge their unseated um, fight for sovereignty and freedom and justice in this country. Um, for me, terminology is an interesting um, thing that tells us something important about the way our communities have sought to understand themselves and the different iterations of these terms and the ways in which um, different people from different social positions or different um, contexts engage in them, I think it's a really interesting, um, it tells us a journey about knowledge transfer and the ways in which we've sought to understand ourselves. Um, I have started to use and interrogate the term Sahul because of the broader kind of um, context that it offers us to incorporate and connect other uh, spaces and places and people, um, particularly, you know, First Nations people in this country, as well, and the broader Indigenous diaspora. So I'm really interested in deconstructing um, and dismantling colonial terms as a way to um, reimagine and speak back to what Indigenous knowledges are, which are land-based which are cosmologically based. They're rooted in practice, they're rooted in um, values. And I think finding ways in which we can describe that phenomena um, is a really interesting way that our communities are uptaking that um, practice through terming things and naming our experiences in a way that try to speak to that. So terminology is interesting. I think it's a really interesting place to examine historically and politically. Yeah.
1: Mm, absolutely. So much mana in, the, in those words. And so, Kaya, staying on you, um, everyone on this panel is, is writers and academics in their own right. And so to start, to start us off on our second question, Kaya, what brought you to writing and education? And why is writing and education important to our communities?
5: Um, so I started off... Um getting frustrated at, at, you you know, when you do your, I did social sciences and my undergraduate degree was a constant kind of discourse around deficits based kind of descriptions of blackfellas mostly. And um, so I really wanted to speak back to that reality, which wasn't the case um, for my personal experience. You know, there was a lot about um, disadvantage, you know, all the things that the usual things that um, get written about us, and for me there was um, a gradual process towards finding and seeking out spaces where I could um, speak back to those things um, which just you know um, were lacking nuance and complexity um, yes, those things existed, but there was also a richness within them that wasn't visible in the in the analysis of that so um, for me I found eventually sort of heading back after I did my um, education I went into government and that felt really a limiting space to be able to explore the um, content the contours and the nuance of um, black experience in this country so I ended up going into academia as a way to do that and I found it writing as just a really liberatory practice that offered freedom to really unpack and explore all of those different um intersectional nuanced spaces,
1: yeah. And Professor Georgie, the first prof- professor of a Pacific Islander background in Australia. Can we all just yes. have a clap for that, actually? <laughs> what, what's the importance of academia and writing uh, to you and to our communities?
3: I think for me, it's about representation again. It's this idea that if we are not visible in these respective spaces, uh, in writing, in education, then we are not afforded the opportunity to be at the table to have those shared conversations. And for me, being in these respective spaces, I also bring my Pacificness with me in these spaces. So I was sharing with someone recently that... Um, As chair of the department as well, I also will utilise Pacific Indigenous uh, ways in the style of leadership that I have. So, for example, in any of the meetings that I run, I run them like Palanoas, where we just hold and share space. We have no agenda items. And at first, uh, the team and other people that I work with they were like, what is this? <laughs> so, what, I don't what, understand what this might be. Where's the agenda? <laughs> yeah. Where's the minutes? Yeah. But with the... Pal- <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
3: Yeah. Where's the minutes? But for me, what I found is that it's through the Palanoa approach, which is a relational approach, that you don't need minutes because people engage, connect, and remember what we're doing together. So I utilise three uh, C words. I'm all about being able to to be collaborative, collective, and collegial. And again, I'm bringing my Indigenous Pacific perspectives to these spaces that are traditionally very white and Western.
0: And Annie, I know... Everything, everything you just said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. of
1: course. And I know you've been talking about uh, going back into mm. academia and into mm-hmm. the institution and and... and actually choosing what you're wanting to learn. And so do you want to give the audience a a bit of a spiel about that and also the importance of writing and academia to you and our communities?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think I'm the oldest person on the panel and I'm returning to academia because I feel I have the strength to do that now. Um, When it was an opportunity for me to go to uni, I didn't feel I had the... Wherewithal, the capacity, the confidence—I um, knew I'd feel very isolated, and also I just couldn't afford it. <laughs> so, um, so now returning um, as a nearly fifty-year-old person, I feel safe to do so, and I'm doing it remotely in the hands of um, Professor Linda Tuhuai Smith, who is, you know, a true mentor for me. And and again, it comes down to that word safety, cultural safety. Um, you use the word imagining um, when you were speaking, and that's very much what Linda is. So the key words are to be able to reimagine what we want to write about. And the talano, talanoa, so uh, for Māori we say wananga, um, it's the same process. So I'm wanting to delve into things that are very, very personal, which I never thought there would be the space to do so in a in the box of... You know, when you think of academia, it's, it's that institution. And, you know, having those conversations with, um, with Linda, I can really see a way of reimagining the personal into what will eventually, Touchwood, be a um, doctorate. And you used, yeah, the R word, representation. Yeah. That's so vital. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, Christine, did you, did you want to talk about your own experience with writing and academia and, and maybe um, the lack of representation that you've, you've seen in those areas? Yeah.
4: yeah, well, first of all, you are all brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going starts. through my
1: undergrad like, oh, God. <laughs>
4: um, well, I started off, as soon as I finished high school, I went straight into UCID because I had no guidance, and they were all telling me that's the best uni in Australia, you know, but I had no, no goals, and I think it was a huge culture shock as well. There was no support culture, and that was, like, I was in a room full of white people. Anything I shared was, like, but it's not sound enough. It's not bang sound enough, like, you should, especially writing. And uh, I, I jumped from that to a law degree, and did writing on the side thinking that it would help me, like support me kind of. And that was so bizarre because every writing workshop I had was just bringing me down. And of course that couldn't support me when it came to getting the grades that I wanted because I just didn't feel anything for it. And then I just decided, let me just take writing as the only course that I will do. And in an academic space, it's, it's been a bit different, but as soon as I finish, then I will <laughs> tell you guys <that> about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, the education is so important. I, I'm, I'm just laughing at the fact that I, I brought up this question in the context of me showing you my graduation outfit. I know, Lays and, um, yeah, representation, again, so important. So the reason why we have this panel and, and I'm able to have this mana-filled Dallanoa, uh with uh, writers and mentors that, that I so look up to is because of the Straight Up Islander collection um, on the SPS Voices website. So if you haven't seen it yet, do check it out. It, it, Ten Pacifica writers from Australia. Um, it's the first of its kind, you know, and so I just, I just wanted to ask all of you what your, what your articles were about um, and, and our work together and, and what that process was like. Uh, Annie, did you want to start us off?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, heaps, Winnie. And just such how amazing to be invited to be a part of that project. I did a double take of the invite. I was like, oh, wrong. You sent it to the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's really to me. Okay. Um, And so I decided to write about boundaries, um, which drew me back to uh, 1995 when I hitchhiked around Ireland, when you could hitchhike. I don't know if you still can, but I used to hitchhike quite a lot out of... um, I'm an Aries, so I'm just like, got to get somewhere. Um, let's do it. And, and also just having no money. It's just such a great way to um, get around. And I always did it safely, you know, always travelled with someone. But, um, yeah, so I sort of talked about the roads that I travelled. Have any of you been to Ireland? You, so you know the Cologne, it's one of the most... So all of the streets are lined with the bricks and... Sorry, all the paddocks are divided, divided, divided. Hey, and um, that got me thinking about boundaries and how the relief I felt when I went to the cliffs of Moher and looking out to the Atlantic Ocean and how there was it was boundless. There was it, there were no boundaries. It just felt right. It felt good being near the ocean, and then drawing back to the personal with um, my own sense of understanding boundaries and whether or not that's cultural or. Um, gender related but I've always struggled with boundaries throughout my life, personal and professional there's always been a blurring particularly in the arts I think in Australia you know, we we take our work home, we just do we're on 24 hours, hey (laughs) Um, and yeah, boundaries in terms of understanding who I am as a a Maori Australian person Um, so yeah, it's about it's about boundaries (laughs) (laughs) And
1: speaking of boundaries and maybe even intersections, Kaya, what what was your uh, personal essay about?
5: Um, So my essay was speaking to sort of, trying to speak about the complicated and relational um, kinship shared between Aboriginal, Torres Strait, uh, South Sea Islander people. and speaking from my own sort of location as someone who um, embodies those um, lineages, uh, often the idea that, you know, um, the Indigenous demographic here on this country is separated from this concept of Oceania um, and the complexity of our communities and the diversity of, you know, that Indigenous demographic in this context is something that... um, that is often spoken about um, as two separate things that are just like, you know, we, and, and often um, Torres Strait Islanders and South Sea Islanders are raised in First Nation spaces. Um, and so my kind of article tries to um, speak to the things that connect us and link us ancestrally, um, how, our communities understand each other through that context and the way in which we pay reverence and honouring and respecting um, that these are things that exist long before we're going to ever be here. They were already there. They continue to be there. They're not things that we can see, but we understand them. So it was really interrogating um, this idea of relationality and how that exists in um, who we are as people and the way that we understand our histories. Um, Yeah, so... I just, um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to sort of return back to that idea of Sahul and I think, because um, I sort of talk about this idea of blackness and what does that really mean in this, in this country. Um, for me, Australia is a black country because of the First Nations people of this land and that includes people of um, Melanesia, You know, as well, and what is that relationship? That's kind of a conversation that is on the margins as well, but it's very present in our own communities. Um, And so I think we're at a point as a nation, as a continent, where we're able to um, redefine our own phenomena in a way that's reflective of those standpoints specifically. Um, And I think we are so. Used to seeing and understanding the experience from America or the UK or the US, um, and so I think we're at a time where our maturity as a nation, we're ready to look at the complexity, we're ready to look at the nuance, and really describe that and really name it for what it is, and and put labels to it, put terms to it, and describe what our realities are, and like you said, reimagine them in a way that um, you know is rooted and grounded in culture and and, and indigenous knowledge, systems that are ancient and ephemeral. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm always on about.
1: Yeah, absolutely Absolutely (laughs) do check out Kaya's piece. I'm just remembering when we were working together, you sent me about like 20 photos of your family and it was so beautiful and it was so strong. And so don't miss out (laughs) on that. Christine, uh, you you, you spoke about a very sensitive, very important topic. And so, um, yeah, tell us about it. And I love that I'm speaking after you because of the systems of knowledge that are ancient and ephemeral
4: is a very huge part of my piece. And in Samoan culture, before we speak, we must apologise if any of our words hit the wrong place. And what I am going to speak about was um, a very traumatic experience so I do apologise if, it, if it's not um, where my words should go. But um, I through my law degree, I uh, experienced a sexual assault and it was a very, obviously, very traumatising experience. But um, one of the main things that got me through was a Samoan tale called Sina and the Eel, which I think it, uh, exists in a few other Pacific Island cultures as well. But what that story was teaching me and what helped me get through my experience was uh, reclaiming my own womanhood and one that is empowered by the men in my village and the men in my world as well, which you don't hear when you go through something like that. It's normally like you shut them out and you take care of yourself, but that's that was a huge part of my story and it's still a huge part of my life now. So but, and I do want to thank you because I know you told me not to, but getting that piece out was a very important story I needed to tell because a lot of young Samoan girls and sub girls came up to me as well saying that they went through something like that and they didn't think to use our culture and these ancient like, systems of knowledge to empower us again. They think it's a dead s- story we shouldn't be thinking about something so old and I think
1: it's going to be forever. (laughs)
3: Mm,
1: mm. And Professor Georgie, what about you?
3: Um, So my piece is about um, how I strive to make a difference through my difference. Mm. And growing up um, in public housing, in Western Sydney... Uh, to a Ito Fijian father and an Anglo mother. I was challenged by different perspectives and um, how I then navigated my own sense of identity was constantly challenged by others. Um, I also identify as bisexual, so I'm part of the queer community. And so for me, it was really about trying to navigate all of these different intersections as part of my journey. But as I moved into later years of high school, I was able to, I, I went to Newtown High School of Performing Arts. So that was a, an awakening experience <laughs> in years 11 and 12, uh, my final two years. So that really helped me to consolidate different parts of my identity. In saying that, I also came from a, a very strong Christian faith background. So that also permeated my worldview. And so it's actually through my journey uh, and what I talk about in my piece is I sort of recount how a lot of my work in the community uh, and even in academia um, is a reflection of my diversity and it is part of what I can utilise to make a difference. So my encouragement is you can use your differences to make a difference. And, uh, you know, it's really, really important that we don't shy away from those things, even though we might be told to do so. But, yeah, no, it's the opposite. It's really about being able to embrace your your differences to, to make a difference.
1: Mm. And I think on that note, I, I didn't write this question down, but obviously in the spirit of Dhala um, j- just wanting to, like, each one of you have brought up different aspects of, of intersection. So uh, there's class, there's, there's race, there's sexuality. Um... I would say there's also been hints here and there of um, the effects of uh, colonial Christianity and and what that's had on our communities. And so, uh, Professor Georgie, I guess staying on you as part of that difference, making a difference and thinking of those intersections, um, do those intersections inform your writing? And and how do we start to address the kind of negative aspects of of maybe those intersections in terms of, let's say,
3: colonial Christianity? Um, so this is where I suppose I can give a plug for a book chapter that I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> that was released early in the year and talks about Pacific sexualities and how, yeah, colonial, uh, colonial thinking and colonisation and the missionaries. I'm not allowed to swear, am I? No, I won't swear. It's a Sunday morning. It's a Sunday morning. <laughs> a Sunday, really Sunday did us. It's a Sunday morning. That's right. Um, <laughs> All of those influences really did us over, and and really made us hate ourselves in our cultural perspectives and, and practices. Um, so that piece looks at how we can continue to utilise, as our panelists have been saying, our traditional ways of knowing and doing, being and becoming, a.k.a. epistemologies and ontologies. Just wanted to sound intelligent on a Sunday morning as well.
2: Yeah. <laughs> God's resting today.
3: That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, to embrace queerness. So the chapter also looks about the shared relationship possibly between Indigenous theory and queer theory and how we can learn a lot um, in Western contexts from our queer perspectives. Uh, in the Pacific, our sexualities before colonisation was fluid. Uh, our connections to sexuality wasn't based on morality but a social connected, connectedness to others. Um, so I think we can learn a lot um, from such Indigenous perspectives in, in the mainstream. Excuse me, please. What's the name of that book? Oh, so the book is called The Handbook of Indigenous Resilience that has been put together by First Nations um, American Hillary Weaver, and it's Chapter 7, if I remember. That was a good old plug, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, and if you do a Google search, you'll be able to find the chapter available via a Sydney Uni um, media release.
1: I love how engaged everyone is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Spirituality. Yeah, yeah, wow. intersectionality.
0: This is all really hitting home hardcore because, um, yeah, where I fuck a puppet to up in the Hokianga, a lot of the marais actually have, yeah, there's... Colonisation is alive and kicking. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to go back home, I have to be honest, because a lot of the Marais do have um, a bishop, uh, a plump French bishop that arrived and colonised the bazookas out of all of my ancestors. So they, re- yeah, they did a good job. I've actually written a poem called Missionary Position um, about it, yeah. Um, so it, 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 everything that we're talking about is something I'm actually trying to interrogate and understand and um, come to peace with. Um, it's actually a very current conversation. Christianity. I mean, I grew up with a direct line to God. You know, I was I if I forgot to pray, I'd get out and be out of bed and have the do like really and the Sunday morning prayers and. Sunday morning mass and everything like this. Look, beside the Marae, there is a church. Yeah, this, this is the way it is. This is where the missionaries first went into the Hokianga. The ships arrived there and ancestors, our ancestors went to survive. Let's work with rather than, yeah, rather than attack. Yeah, sorry, it's actually very, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky one to answer. Um, and, but I just do want to quickly say, talking about queer communities and coming back to that word reimagining, that's where I want my work to go. Queerness, imagination, um, and really referring to a lot of what Bell Hooks writes about in terms of radical love. I think that's where I want my energy and work to go. Mm, Sorry I'm not being succinct on that answer. No, no that <laughs> it's was so very sparky. The
1: spirit of I think all of our work was was in that answer. Thank you, Annie. And Kaya. Um I think it's a it's, a, it's, it's
5: a hard topic to to um to create discourse on because the relationship that island people share to Christianity it's is so um it's complicated, right? But I think what it tells us is something important about our spiritual disposition as a people. Our, um, there is a real humility and a humbleness where, you know, I like to imagine um, our people in that way. We come from caring and sharing cultures. We come from cultures that are filled by hospitality You know, we're in service to community and there is a humbleness there. And I think when I'm thinking about colonialism as an institution in a way that it manifests in religion, how is the values and the the reciprocity and the responsibilities and the the obligations that we have as as a people, how is that intersecting and interfacing with these colonial institutions in the different iterations of the different generations and what are the ways in which um our grandfathers our grandmothers our aunties and uncles have had to navigate those spaces um so as to not kind of you know remove or um you know yeah, look, I have to talk about it in a way that's sensitive because I've always... I've, I didn't i did not know how to write about it in in my thesis as well because I, I think about there's so many cultural adaptations of different um, ceremonies, customs, practices, events, coming of the light with uh, Zendikia's communities. Like, that's a big cultural day for us. And it's coming of the light is the celebration of when the colonisers brought Christianity to the (laughs) island. But it's our main... It's one of our really... um, And, you know, it's a really revered and respected process and practice. So there's a couple of things happening in that. And it's not just as... It's not as simple as, like, colonisers and non-colonite and Indigenous. Like, there's something else happening um, and finding the words to speak to that um, in a way that's respectful of our... um, You know, because, you know, our... Like, in my family, like we're a big Christian family, like yep. you know, and but there was so much strength that came with that, yep. but it was it, it confused me yep. because they were also staunch activists, you know so and like when they're having uh, political meetings, it's you know after Sunday school like you know this is I'm thinking of my great grandmother and how they were big church leaders in in um, the air and Townsville communities um yeah, and so a lot of people would gather there for, for um, church and things like that, and then they'd talk politics. <laughs> so it's just, um, yeah, I think it's a really important thing to pull out, well, what is the practice that's happening? Um, it's one of spirituality. And perhaps it was used as a way to continue that strong sense of, indigenous knowledges and cultural systems like that is part of the evolution of our people's practices as well because of that resonance that came from the values that came from um you know being in a a spiritual disposition as a as an entity engaging in a relational way of being in the places and spaces that we move and operate in and with each other so I like to look at it um yeah, in, in, in all the different sort of levels that it can be looked at.
1: So many layers. And I, at the end of the day, spirituality is always such a personal choice as well. And so, Christine, any, any thoughts on kind of intersections in, in your own life that um, maybe even help you get through or that you're questioning or, or that even inform your writing? I keep
4: mentioning Western Sydney,
1: don't I? <laughs>
4: <laughs> it just comes up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's a big one for me, the class. But then it was also, like, if you were a poverty kid, if you came from a fibre shack, like, I ticked all of those boxes. Like, that definitely informs my, my writing. Um, I did want to mention something about... Um, colonialism though as well, like in Samoan culture the, one of the biggest relationships is um, a sister and her brother so that is a very sacred connection and it's called Feanganga um, and what with the missionaries, what they did was they compared uh, village and the church to being brother and sister and that is the, like, the evolution is so real over there and mm. it's a very Christian country and that also bleeds into my writing. I feel like the stories that I, I, I rip off, they're all biblical stories if they are not legends or the myths from Samoa and it's very automatic because it's just been drilled in for so long and that is something that I'm trying to break down even though it's a huge part of my history i would want to write more about the salmon the cultural things that i that i love as well
1: yeah absolutely mm. i just love this <laughs> <laughs> basking in it <laughs> and uh, what i mean by this is the intra cultural exchanges that we're having here on stage that we've been having um, through the through the Straight Up Islander collection of SPS voices, and that we have been having for millennia. You know, our ancestors have been talking to each other. You know, way before we were even conceived or into existence. And so, my kind of second final question um, before I get onto a more uh, and and as we move on to more kind of hopeful forms of dialogue is what is the importance of intracultural exchange between our communities and, and how best do we do it and approach it? Georgie?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I lean onto you a lot because,
2: you
1: know, yeah, so yeah, that title of
2: professor yeah. That's
3: right. No, it's true, it's true, and the professor yeah, title I'm belongs. Well this is the thing, the professor title belongs <laughs> to the broader Pacifica community. Like I don't claim to represent anyone, but I know that by virtue of me being in this space and being from a Pacifica background, that it, it represents a broader community, right? Which is us as Pacific indigenous people. Um, Same sort of thing with the amazing Imelda Davis who's sitting in front of me, the first Australian South Sea Islander to be elected a councillor at uh, City City Council. Give us a wave, Imelda! Um, She's a tireless advocate around the intracultural context and we had a brief conversation before this panel and we're talking exactly what you were saying before around how do we as Oceania people continue to interact and interrelate and interconnect. And it's so important that we um, see ourselves as part of this broader Oceania community whilst also celebrating our diverse differences and nuances. So, so important because we're not a a homogenous group. We're not. Uh, At the same time, it's about how do we utilise that critical mass to hopefully help... Educate and school, but even disrupt very white and Western spaces um, as part of our shared approach.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everything the good professor said. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and just, yeah, just really, um, I think out of all of that comes solidarity. Um, yeah. I really don't have much more to say. I think you just nailed that answer. (laughs) Seriously.
1: 100. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Christine? I think
4: that (laughs) as well. But also, if we aren't speaking with each other, to each other, then who does that leave? And it will be the Chris Lilies of the world talking at us, about us. And they've had had their time. It's, It's time for us to reclaim all those spaces and define
1: ourselves by ourselves. I mm. think. Absolutely. And Kaya I think you're an expert on intracultural <laughs> <Yeah>. exchange. <laughs> <That's not>. um, <laughs> i you do last.
5: <laughs> Everything that you guys said the only thing I'd add to that would be um, just going back like I feel like all the answers to our problems if you want to call them problems or phenomenas all the answers are already of our present moment are already in our past. So I work... Um, I I like to look at, you know, our pre-colonial practices, our um, ceremonies, our um, understanding of, you know, navigating um, living in rightful relation with land and water and, you know, country. And a lot of the um, time you'll find that they've already had like a term for things that we're trying to describe. they had words, they had sounds they had dance moves that meant things that we can't actually say in English because they don't exist but they were already um, there was already a depth of um, like long long like not even intergenerate like long ancient spiritual traditions and customs that come from long, faraway places beyond like planetary thinking, like I'm thinking, you know, cosmologically, not just grounded in our human experience. I think it's so easy for us to be human centered and forget that uh, we are entities engaging with many, many different other elements and entities around us. Um, And that's something our people knew, that's something they wrote about in uh, non-Western forms of writing. in our language, in our song, in our dance, in our drums, like all of these things are already there. So um, including a intersectional kind of relationship with all of the other people and communities around them. So you'll find song lines and storylines that connect Melanesia, that connect to Australia, that go back and crisscross to places. And these are the things that, you know, we are trying to seek out and put name to, but they're already there. We have to go back and restore and refine. And I think for me, that's what, you know, um, writing and representation is also about how, you know, yes, it is about speaking back, but what is it speaking into our lives, into ourselves, into our spirit? How do we decolonize our own minds? You know, um, that's a really, really important piece of work because I got sick of talking and educating (laughs) others. I was like, I want to talk to, um, you know, my own communities Mm. about our own internal, um, you know, colonial mentalities. And not only that, but how do we indigenize and return so that, you know, past, present and future is always interconnected? So, you know... um, I think for me that's where I kind of want my work to sort of go and when I'm thinking of intersections, I'm really thinking of past, present and future and how that is, um, you know, that is a, that is a, um, that's a place that is connected by time and space too. It's a temporal space, you know, so we're looking at um, it not in a human-centred way, yeah. It,
0: everything you're talking about with um, Matariki coming up, and it's exactly that concept of, do you have a concept of Matariki, where that's the Maori New Year, so the start. That's a very much a connection and mm. a celebration of a particular set of stars mm. that yes. is Star- ancient. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. We're first peoples, first navigators, uh, kind of some of the first storytellers on this very complicated globe. So can everybody please give a round of applause to these amazing, incredible people? (laughs) And Winnie. So... So we have about nine-ish minutes for a bit of a Q&A. So kind of opening opening up the Dalanoa to to you all um, who've joined us today. Thank you so much. So uh, I think there's mics on either side of the stage. So do come up and answer a quest and and ask a question <laughs> in the form of a question. Obviously, being very respectful um, of the kind of topics and sharings that we've given today. Does anybody want to start us off? Questions? Curiosities? Yes. Uh,
6: Kia ora na. My name is Bobby Romeo and I'm a Cook Island uh, filmmaker, uh, screenwriter, as well as producer. First of all, I'm just really proud to be here, to be listening to all these really accomplished stories and and accomplished people in your fields, given the fact that you would have to navigate that space almost on your own and not having the scaffolding in place. to to nurture that. So congratulations. Um, brother.
1: this is for you. You should be up here with us. (laughs) (laughs) Next time.
6: time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, I've been working as an executive in the film and television industry for um, more than 10 years and I've occupied, occupied the space as a Pacifica literally on my own for the last 10 years. And Georgie and I met about 10 years ago when I was commissioning at SBS. And even then, we had that conversation of uh, lack of representation at the levels of decision, that including um, policy, that including commissioning editors, that's including um, uh, directors of content across the board. Um, But my question is specifically going back to as a writer. one of the things that is you could easily be burdened by the big nature of what we have to do and our representation for both ourselves as well as our community. But one thing that helped me is to identify that one specific person, that audience member, that reader whose mind you want to change and as a way in order for me to refocus my writing. Uh, my question is in terms of your pieces, Who is that specific one person, that audience member, that reader whose mind you wish to change? Mm.
1: Annie, I might direct that question to you because not only are you a writer, you're an editor, poet, weaver, you inhabit all of this stuff. So, yeah, how do you direct your writing to a specific audience if you do?
0: Yeah. Bobby? Kia ora. Um, You write... It sounds like you're writing... as a a tool of change to convince, almost to change the page from white to black or white to brown. Um, I don't really consider the whiteness. I actually have a different process to you in that I don't necessarily consider, oh, that person's not going to understand this. I'd I'd better put the English interpretation so I can engage them. I like my readers to meet me halfway I like readers to do a bit of the work and I don't know if you do that in your filmmaking, if you kind of go, oh, I'd better, I don't know if the word is cater. And, and, and this is about, uh, yeah, my great aunt was a big one for, she led the, a land march, a really massive land march, uh, Finna Cooper, and she was all about bringing Pakia with her. I, I wrestle with this. And I'm, spe- I'm answering the question circularly because it actually just depends. So SBS is a really incredible platform to engage with a broad range. Um, so I would certainly want to engage a white, whatever that is, audience. Um, I mean, I, have a, I had my mother's past, but she was Pakea. So, you know, I acknowledge all of my lines. She's very much part of me. The answer is but.
2: <laughs>
6: yeah, look, look, just to uh, provide some, a little bit of context, for example, and this is more of a personal sort of journey with me, particularly with my relationship with my grandmother, who doesn't identify, who, do, who doesn't um, see my queerness gotcha. as, as something that she can accept. Gotcha. So when I write, particularly with a particular story or angle, angle in mind, she is my audience because she is the one whose mind I wish to change or to understand.
1: Um, yeah. P- Professor Georgie? Yeah, yeah. exactly.
6: <laughs> um, thanks, Bobby.
3: Huge fan. <laughs> and I love how you've incorporated the theme of the Writers' Festival, Change My Mind, into yes. the questions. It's really interesting as I sit here on, on further reflection, I think it's partly changing my own mind. Oh, I wow. think... At times I've shied away from talking about my own personal story and narratives, but i found that literally over the last six months by me injecting, especially in uh, various opinion pieces that I've I've written and been published in City Morning Herald and other places, it has always started by me sharing something personally about my own journey. And so I think I've learnt to change my mind around how important it is for us to inject our lived experiences...
1: Thanks so much for your question, That involves
0: bro.
1: being vulnerable. Um, we probably have time for one more question, if anybody wants to get up. Yes! <laughs> Go! OK. <laughs> thank, you
2: so, thank you so much, everybody. I'm incredibly proud to witness what's happening on the stage here and really have hope for a brighter future for our people as a collective. Um, I guess my question is, we've got a new government. So, so, in celebrating that, which some may or some may not, um, <laughs> for our particular people and the commitment, um, you know, for Pacific, uh, I guess, demographic, and in particular, the forgotten people, Australian South Sea Islanders, and I just want to commend Kaya for yeah. your formidable work. I'm so proud of you. Equally as proud as everybody and and Professor, um, you know, in moving forward as a nation, how can we work better with our governments? And what are your thoughts around that? Like, what can we ask of them now? Hmm.
5: (laughs) Um, So I've kind of thought about this question a lot and I kind of oscillate back and forth between burn it down
2: Yeah. there's going to be a
5: much more nuanced approach <laughs> um, so I guess I come back to um, like it's like a continuum like you know and you place yourself on a particular point in that continuum where do you stand what's your social positioning, where's your social location and what, like, how do you stay in your lane and do what you can do from what you're anchored in um, I think that's part of, like, our values as being islanders and blackfellas as well. It's like you stay in your lane, you know who you are and what what you what you're, how you're supposed to feed into the kinship, into the collective, into the network. Everyone's got a role. Everyone's got an obligation. Everyone's got a responsibility. There's reciprocity. It's reciprocal bonds and ties that connect us into doing the things that we need to do. Um, so I think, <clears throat> for me... Personally, um, the way in which I interface with government is grounded in where my social location is currently. And that's able to change and move, and you're able to be fluid with that. And that's why I say I oscillate between kind of, you know, burn it down. We need, like, a new, we need, you know, we need <laughs> to completely re- uh, dismantle it, reconstruct it, and, and reimagine um, and indigenize new structures, new forms of governments, which are actually not new, they're old, they're based on things from before, and that's how I go back to that sort of concept of time and space. Um, so I think asking me the question, asking anyone else the question, it would be different depending on where you stand in relationship um, to that institution. Um, I have a very, you know, for me, my work is really writing from a place that's grounded with the intention for sovereignty, so interfacing for governments um, is, yeah, there's a continuum in a way in which we can achieve that and the, the, the way that you place yourself on that continuum to, to work to that broader goal or intention is, um, is how I like to sort of think about what is that relationship for me personally with government and what, what do I bring and why would I engage and on what terms, yeah, I think... There are just some questions um that we need to have within our communities because I feel like those spaces um you know, are still kind of yeah, Absolutely. they're kind of Yeah. Yeah, they need they need kind of more kind of interrogation and, and internal discourse.
1: Mm. Yeah. And this is the space in which it starts. We Georgie, oh yes, we have we are run- we have run out of time. But so if Georgie wants to give a quick answer, oh, yes. Um,
3: so one of the key things that I was very excited about with our new government is that they kept on making this statement that they will now implement in full the Uluru Statement of the Heart from yes, the Heart.
2: Yes, yes.
3: Um, you know, us being on the unseeded Lands, of the Gadigal people, and then understanding unseeded Lands elsewhere this will continue to bring voice to government, to the, the, to the, the key conversation. And I think this is, this is a benefit to all of us, not just First Nations, to all of us. So we should all be part of that shared conversation and Talanawa. Naka.
1: Always was, always will be, and that's always the foundation of our conversations. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. But before we clap and we say goodbye, I just have a couple of little things to announce. So, the first one is, you know, on on Kaya's note about dismantling and creating alternatives. Another Australia
2: is that alternative.
1: (laughs) Um, It's out before it's even announced. It's supposed to be out May 31st, but it's in the bookstore right now. Annie has written such a beautiful piece, full of mana, full of um, Mm -hmm. healing. And so, if you're looking for alternatives to another Australia, if you're looking towards answers that just might not be any form of colonial government please do go buy another australia in the bookstore today and if you're interested more in kind of christine's work and my work at sweatshop sweatshop women which is which is australia's first anthology not only written by women of color but designed and edited by women of color i know some of the sweatshop sisters are here today uh in the audience thank you (laughs) (laughs) sela diane sarah thank you thank you These are also available at the bookstore, Blacklight, 10 Years of First Nations Storytelling, also by Sweatshop, in the bookstore. Do check out SBS Voices and all of the other 10 writers. Obviously, can't have all 10 up here, but, you know, I just want to say and give a shout-out to the fact that this panel kind of empowered other Pacifico people to come up and ask questions and sharing that Talanoa as well. And so, thank you all so much for joining us. Please have a great... Thank
5: you, thank, you, thank, you, thank you thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast please remember to subscribe
4: and to rate our channel